This is Creativity in Captivity. I'm Pat Hazel. Today, we explore the great outdoors with an adventurer from the Pacific Northwest. She is the founder of Wildkind Academy, promoting wilderness awareness, mindfulness, and holistic approach to surviving and thriving in today's world. She is a bow hunter, an angler, and a nature lover. She shares her insights on foraging, plant recognition, and recharging the human battery. Coming up, I chat with creative rewilder, Jess Caldwell. That spark of electricity, a skipping stone that sets you free, or captive to a mystery, the curse of creativity. Hi, Pat. Well, hello, Jess. It's great to have you here. And before we do anything, I want you to tell the listener what rewilding means to you. It's actually a term used more like an ecological explanation for taking a landscaping and bringing it back to its more natural state. And it seemed to be a perfect fit for me because as humans, we all have our own ecological systems, mind, body, and spirit. and I have gone through the experience of feeling off and rewilding for me was this word that seemed to work for my system to bring it back to a more natural state of balance. And I've been doing that through this process of partnering with nature. And so rewilding means a lot of things and it's been relevant in a lot of different ways in my life, but it's not just about getting outside and saying, I spend more time in nature. It's really this approach that I'm taking that's more visceral. It's more of an experience of not just taking a hike in nature, but sitting in nature, giving to nature, consuming with nature. It's reconnecting with community in a different way, with my sense of well-being and my health in a different way. The words seem to fit for what I'm doing. Well, no, I appreciate that. And I'm just saying it may be a new word to people's vernacular from the outside, but it is definitely something that is restorative and self-preservation and sort of a natural enlightenment of who we are and where we are in context of the world to remind us that we are also part of the natural world. And that kind of was an interesting reason for my invitation to you is that we've talked to a lot of creative people that are in the arts, that are directing films. And this is a little bit about seeing creation where we are in the world and who we are and how we survive. So much of what you've done in the last couple of years in finding yourself in this is to study things and to share what you're learning from the importance of knowing how to forage, which to me, if there's not an Arby's within a mile of me, I, how could I forage? True. And I don't think of rewilding as this kind of return to the past. I don't view it as, uh, gosh, if we could only go back 100, 200 years to how the pioneers lived, how our ancestors lived. I think it's actually a really wonderful time to be alive. And in the here and in the now, we live in a very dynamic time. And so I am actually very excited to be more introducing some of the traditional skills, some of the wilderness or thrival skills some of these, I guess, direct living skills and applying them to the modern day, because that's where we are. And this is really about building a new construct for living in the here and now and building a future with myself and in my body and with my friends and building community in a way that we can just remember what it is that we can do to live 
with abundance and and live in a sense uh, with more resiliency and also more security in a lot of ways. Yeah. And I like that word thrival. Is that what you said? Sir thrival. (laughs) Sir thrival. Right. No, I heard it and I wasn't quite sure, but I liked it because I knew where you were going. And that's a kind of a nice reminder to us. So let's start with being out in the wilderness and plant identification. I know that you recently did a workshop on it, which means being able to identify what's edible and what's not. And I had a uh, a bout with some poison ivy or poison oak when I was a kid. And it makes me realize how quickly things could go bad if you're eating the wrong thing. So give me some foraging 101 on plant life. Sure. Well, a couple of things. Foraging, learning about the plant, the wild plants that are growing around you, especially in your area. I mean, that's the key is that this isn't about just grabbing a book on wild foraging or wild plants, but truly understanding what's growing around you, walking out your front door and what's in my immediate vicinity. You might be having dandelions popping out of the concrete, but there is always wildlife growing around us. And so being more in rhythm with what is local to you and understanding the seasonal shifts and the gifts that are happening seasonally. So right now it's spring and this is an excellent time to be learning about wild plants that are not just edible, but medicinal and also have utilitarian function. And when you start to learn these things, especially in the cyclical nature of spring, summer, fall and winter, that's really an excellent opportunity to start to become more in tune and more in touch with the natural world. Because if we are indoors a lot, which many of us are, and we are bringing that barrier up against nature because we're inside, we've got temperature control, we've got different things going on. The moment we say we're going to learn about what's wild and and the plants that are growing on, it's going to get us outside, get us in tune with the rhythms of your local area and get us involved with learning about these plants because what's being offered in the spring, let's say dandelion, for example, that I mentioned previously, right now, the greens of that plant are extremely nutritious, wonderful edible, could be chopped up and eaten raw in salads and all sorts of things. But then as we get more into the summer and that big yellow bloom is coming up, that's a great time to pop those off and make fritters with them. You just put them in some batter and cook them up. They're delicious. Later, when the energy of that plant in the fall and the winter is moving towards the root system, you can now harvest the root and make dandelion tea. And so the plant has this cycle that it's moving through and where the energy is giving back to humanity in a way that says, here's this offering. Right now, my leaves are big and green and luscious. Take them and thrive off them. And, you know, nature loves it when we're engaging what the gift is there to give. And so I think this is an important part of our relationship to learning these plants. And I would suggest learning four plants a year. It's very overwhelming, I think, for people to take on, I'm going to learn all of these things. And my thing from the get-go has been make it a manageable learning experience and maybe just take on four plants a year that you study and learn throughout the year and see what's being offered at different parts of the season. The course that I just did, we focused on the stinging nettle. And that one is really an exciting one for me to share because stinging nettle is located all over the United States, all over the world. You can find stinging nettle in Nepal. I mean, this plant is everywhere. So it's unique in that we all have it. 
And it's one of the most understood plants because most people say, oh, stinging nettle is this nightmare that you don't want to touch it because it causes a sting. And yet it's one of the most nutritious plants on the planet, higher in iron than spinach. And we can harvest it. We can eat it. We can use it as a healing tonic for allergies, for spring allergies. Just when nettle is coming into season, it's there to offer relief from spring allergies. So it is an incredible plant. What does it look like? Does it look like what people would think is a proper weed? And so they avoid it or they pick it or they spray and kill it or... You know, it's fairly unique looking just because it has these little razored edge and almost like heart shaped leaves. It is very easy to identify. So, you know, look up stinging nettle, check it out. And there are probably 40 different species of it, but it still has a similar look. And I think it's important. I think taking a course is helpful so that you can truly get identification. You don't want to mess around with trying out plants. <laughs> There's some plants that are not good to consume. But I think that when you just start actively doing a search, going on to YouTube University, figuring out how to identify these things, getting a good book and getting out there and exploring it, it is quite easy to identify plants. They live in this kingdom and it's a great study to get into. But yeah, stinging nettles everywhere and it's long stalks at the end of the season can be used as cordage. And like I said, you can make tea, you can put it in your morning scramble. I mean, it's a powerful plant and I call it, it is my plant ally. It is a plant I sit with and I spend time with and I speak to and I get spoken to. I have a very special relationship with the stinging nettle. That's good. So you can see that in additional language. Well, I looked at the list of things that you were sharing with people and many things jump out at me, like seaweed and kelp and elderberry and wild ginger. Those things seem natural for eating, but the cattail intrigued me. When I read that, I thought, oh, I think about when I was a kid and I opened a cattail, the top part was like cotton blowing out of it. So Tell me how you prepare a cattail or what parts of it. I know that Yule Gibbons used to say many parts are edible. So I think it has like 13 different edible parts, which is really fascinating. And I actually haven't gone through the full experience of working with cattail. So I'm probably not one to speak exactly on cattail as that's one of my top plants to get excited about, but it's also filters water. I mean, it's a strong filtration plant. And so you don't want to just get into eating parts that are in certain areas that maybe you don't want to be taking in what it's filtering out. So to find cattail and to truly harvest it in a way that you're not actually bringing toxins into your body is a bit of a trick because you often see cattail in city centers and ways to help with that filtration of the water, but it's not necessarily a great place to be harvesting and eating, interesting enough. And knowledge is king in this situation, in that in any situation, particularly with things like mushrooms, I know that you harvest oyster mushrooms, but many mushrooms are deadly in some way. Yeah, learning about the plants is a great area of study to get into, but that's why I say take on four a year and no more. Start small and even start with what's right in front of you. So that when you walk out of your house, I'm a strong believer in learning about what is exactly in your area right out your front door, because that's one of the first steps to this empowering thing that we'll probably get into a feeling more, I guess, just in an unsteady time in a world right now that feels like there's so much uncertainty and the food supply chain is compromised and things are happening that make people feel uncomfortable. And the more you can 
get a sense of feeling good within your body, within your environment, is to see that there is this abundance even right around us that is offering things. And so I would say, walk out your front door and what are the four wild plants right around you and start there because that's a great way to get inspired and get started with learning about weeds. <laughs> well, take me away from the weeds for a moment and take me into the wilderness. And I'm interested in what your everyday carries are in your pack when you get out there and we're talking about away from cell service. What are those five critical things that you have to have? Yeah, that's a good question. And so many people who just go out on hikes, day hikes, they get into trouble because they don't have just the essentials that every person should have with them and be thinking about, even if they're going out on a simple day hike, even in the summer, because things can get cold fast. People are able to lose direction quickly. And also this happens a lot with mushroom foragers because their heads are down, they're looking at the ground, then they lose track of where they are. Often you're off trail. So often foragers really need to be aware of this is, I would say, start with just even, let's get to the basics here of mindfulness that when you're out and about in the wilderness, in the wild, to really be, even with your friends and you're talking and having a good time, really tracking where is the sun to my shoulder right now? Always know that kind of directional sense of the sun direction, knowing and tracking, looking behind you where you've come from to see markers. So not always just looking ahead, but looking behind you, making kind of mental notes of like, where I am in relationship to different identifiable landmarks in the outdoors. But in my pack, I always have certain key layers and it's important to have layers even in the summer. And there is an expression, cotton kills. And that is true wherever you go, that cotton is just not a great form of survival wear or just being prepared in the outdoors. It's best to have wool on you, wool layers to start with, a wicking layer because if you're out hiking you're probably sweating a little bit and if that happens and you find yourself in a position where you need to bunker hunker down for the night that wet layer is going to be a real problem unless you have something to change into or you've got a good wicking layer like a wool that's going to be all right on your skin so having the right layers having an outer layer always in case wind and rain come in and having a way to start fire always I know that in the community that I'm in, we love to be practicing alternative ways of starting fires with our ferro rods and maybe people are into bow drill and they can do all these cool things. But I'd say carry a blowtorch. I learned that one from my dear friend, Ray Livingston, who's taught fire school for Wild Kind Academy. Actually, he was also on season six alone. And he just came out with a new show with Donnie Dust called Mud, Sweat and Beards. And it's a hit and he's kind of known as the modern survivalist. And when he came and taught for Wild Kind Academy, one of the things we did is we went through the process of starting with primitive fire building. So the participants were there. We did the bow and drill and we did a hand drill. Then we moved into working with flint and steel. And then we were working with a ferro rod and we're moving up, we're making tinder bundles. And, and all of this takes a lot of time. You have to harvest materials to be building fire in nature. You have to know how to do that. You have to work on processing because fire needs and fire tinder needs that processing down to, a, to something that'll create ignition. And the bottom line is when we get to the end of the course, he's like in a survival situation, you don't want to be doing all that shit. <laughs> like, 
like get out your blowtorch and start a fire. So being really well equipped to saying, if you're going out into any kind of backcountry situation, be prepared with the right tools. We do live in an age where you can buy something that has fuel. Right. Because even matches can get wet and can be useless. Yeah. Like have some and have some waterproof matches, but also carry something that's going to start no problem first time. Because if you're cold, and especially when it comes down to like, if it's cold temperatures, once that sun drops, everything changes, your dexterity changes, your fingers do not have the dexterity that they had. So to start something quickly and easily is really important. So that is for fire, of course, having maybe a small little water filtration device in your pack that you can always be filtering water, not just a water bottle, although having a container is important of some kind, because if you don't have a container, then you don't have a way to boil water. And one thing that survival folks do is they carry those canteen-like water bottles that are more stainless steel that can be put in a fire and where you can heat it up. So not just a plastic water bottle, but something that you could put over the fire and have heated water. You could put that warm water bottle wrapped in some of your gear and put it on your body and your core areas to keep yourself warm. So you can do these little upgrades to your backpack, backcountry bag, and then having some food and some electrolytes. I imagine something sharp too, right? You'd want a knife Always a knife. Don't leave home without a knife. Have a sheath and a knife. And definitely, I think knives are top tool for sure. You can do a lot with a knife. Right. And you mentioned the filtration. There's water in the world in a lot of ways. And much better to have ways to, again, as you said, to be able to boil, but also to filter where you're finding water somewhere and you don't know what its properties are. So I say this not in any way as an expert because I would last overnight but I think on day two, they'd go, well, we just leave him for dead. You know, here's how we'd avoid that. Cause we don't want you to die out there. I don't want to die either. But as a kid, I would say, oh, if I don't have a TV guide, I'm going to die. <laughs> right. I love it. I think kids today would have hard times without their cell phone, not just the emotional detachment, but things like finding their sense of direction. And, and this is not to blame them. The fact is, is we've provided them with something that spell checks so they don't have to learn spelling, it grammar checks, it stores your phone numbers. Like when I was a kid, if you liked somebody and they told you their phone number, you had to remember it. And which, you know, I can still tell you my parents' phone number from when I was a kid. But nowadays, humans have sort of become the tool that carries the tools. Absolutely. And, you know, there's some times where those tools can be really helpful for us in the backcountry. For example, you can get an app called Onyx, which all hunters and backpackers really love this particular app. But one of the things it does is when you lock your car, wherever your trailhead is, you can get on Onyx and be offline, not have cell service, but it will track and show you your starting point. And so when you start walking out, you can always find your way back. Even if you're off trail, you can be able to track yourself and get back to these markers or get back to your starting point, which I think is helpful to bring in some of these hot tips from what we do have available to us right now. And of course, there's GPS tracking devices that you can pair with your cell phones. I'd be reckless if I didn't just say this piece since we're talking about what do you bring in your backpack. But I think also just what you mentioned, just being so smart about go out and explore 
explore the outdoors because this is an important piece to getting more intuitive and getting off of our phones. But of course, just always tell people where you're going to go, like always communicate with someone. This is where I'm going to be. And this is my plan for getting back and then have a plan so that if you don't have your cell phone and you find yourself without communications, that you've had the mindfulness to say, even if this is a day hike, take the time to plan it out, know your routes, look at a map, tell people where you're going, and then bring in the tech to help. But with that tech, for example, the app or any of those things, if suddenly that device loses battery service, all the technology that goes with it is no longer available. So, I mean, I imagine for you and what you've been through, there are places, find water, follow a river, or go to a high point to be able to see from a treetop or a mountain. There are some basic things that aren't even being taught to kids today. You're right. It is a training of the mind to spend time in the wilderness because we're getting so much more out of it. There are so many levels of integration to how we are getting back to our roots and our human ability to track, to understand time, to understand place, to understand the elements to hear what's coming in nature. I mean, there's a whole school of people who study the bird call because nature awareness instructors can teach folks to listen to the birds and what predators are out there, what storms are coming. I mean, there is so much to learn and I try to not get overwhelmed with it. That's why I started, as you mentioned earlier, writing about my rewilding experience. I called it my field notes blog because When I started this path, I had never been fishing in my life as of two years ago. Never was a hunter, didn't even consider hunting. This was not my lifestyle. And I made just an abrupt 180 with the pandemic, actually. And once I entered the world, I was like, whoa, I have so much to learn. And it was a bit overwhelming, but I took on one thing a week. I just wanted to learn one thing a week, and I was going to write about it take pictures of it, share it. And that's where the blog kind of really took off for me. And it kept me accountable to say, I'm going to learn something. And everything I learned has been so valuable. And it's literally changed my life, my confidence, and even how I am just expressing myself and feeling in my skin and my own skin in a time where some people are feeling really uncomfortable and hesitant to the future of what's coming, what's potentials are out there. And I'm feeling ease and confidence. So I want to restate a couple of things you said that I think are really important. And you said them perfectly clearly, but I want the aha to hit the, the listener, which is on your creative endeavor, as you began to learn more, you wanted to be accountable. That allowed you to keep your discipline and keep moving forward. And so you created the Field Notes blog, which again, it was an accountability reasoning But you were also sharing what you learned, which means there's bounty for others. They can find that on your website uh, at wildkindacademy.com, and they can find the tab for the field notes and take a look at that. But it's also that when you're rewriting something like that, you're relearning it. You're remembering it a little differently because I feel like the mind visually observes a lot of things and creatively takes in a lot of things but it doesn't have the same recall as when your hand goes to paper and the message comes from your brain to your hand. There is something, even when actors are memorizing lines and long monologues, sometimes if they write it out, it stays a little better or they see a, a picture of it. And and so I'm, I'm trying to connect the dots between the outdoor world that we're talking about and the parts of your mind and heart and body that are 
still doing those really intuitive things. So, I mean, I, I admire the passion that you had when you dove in. And so much of what we as humans do actually interferes with the balance of nature. And what I think is amazing about the cell phone, I'm not against the idea of having it. It's just that we've convenienced ourselves with a device that is our camera, that is our clock, that is our address book, that is our typewriter. It is a pacemaker. The world will stop if we don't have access. But that is not in any way true. And I think that while you can have it, the things like you learning to fish, this was only less than two years ago. And now, among other things, in addition to fishing, you've been doing correspondence for some sponsored fishing shows from a very knowledgeable place of learning one thing a week is pretty ambitious. So tell just the fishing journey alone, how you went from your first out there fishing alone to being a fishing correspondent. So I had never gone fishing in my life. The first time I went out was on Lake Cascade in Idaho. It was ice fishing. And that was my first fishing experience. So it wasn't just a sunny day out catching some trout with a beer. It was with a beer, but on the ice in a blizzard. And it was gnarly. But one of the most exciting, thrilling things I have ever done, because I guess the elements were raw, but it was also beautiful. It's like white out conditions but you got a line in the water and this little hole and you're pulling up these monster three pound, two to three pound perch, bright yellow, bright orange, gorgeous on these little poles. And you bring them up onto the ice and you're bringing them home that night to make fish tacos. And so I literally was experiencing not just fishing, but saying the work that I just put in, the effort that I just put in that was not easy, just turned into dinner. And there was something so important about that whole concept of what it takes to actually bring food in, that it's not just a grocery store trip, but you can actually do the work and bring home the bacon, essentially. But when I did that and had that experience and I came home that night, my face was windburned. I just felt more alive than I had in a long time. I felt energized. I felt like my senses had been engaged in a way that they hadn't in a while. And something in me felt so human, like I felt human. And I know that that I'm saying that, and I think it probably lands what I mean by that. But it's like, this is what I was built to do, was to be out in the cold harvesting food. It just felt so right. But from that moment, and I wrote about it in my blog, I'm writing about uh, fishing and this experience. And I had, like you said, on the side of just from learning for me to take that experience, take pictures of it, write about it. And I'm not just writing that scene and how I'm feeling in it, but I'm writing, I use this monofilament line with these kind of hooks. And like later I can go back because this is a learning process. I don't know anything about fishing. So every time I wrote about a fishing experience, I've been able to go back and use that as a resource for the next time I'm going out to say, oh yeah, okay, that's right. I was using these hooks and this was the setup. And so the process of truly journaling or using what I like, the field notes, 
for all of these experiences, writing in terms of field notes, that really gets you into your brain having a pathway then to be able to revisit that pathway and say, oh yeah, that's triggering that I remember this and I'll need to do this or think about this next time because I didn't do it right this time. So it has been a real process that I've been using writing to help me with learning. And then from that, it went from ice fishing to I've probably got over 25 different species of fish in the last two years. I've been now fishing in Alaska, brought home sockeye, and I brought home a lot of salmon that I had in the freezer for the winter. I've been fishing in Mexico. I've been fishing in Oregon, Washington, Idaho, and all these different species. And I really only enjoy fishing if it's something I can then harvest and eat. To me, it's important that that time and energy is then brought into full circle that if I'm going to bother that fish in that way, it's going to be a life cycle thing, not just, hey, let me make it rough on you today and then just take you back into the water. To me, it's there is a gratitude process of bringing in a fish, thanking that fish for its life and having my hand on that fish to have that full experience of gratitude and then turning that into dinner. That all makes sense to me. And now just a few years later, you've gone from learning to fish and learning about fish to within the month, by the time this airs, you will have already been off on this journey, but you're going on a 50-day advanced woodsman out in the wild, like a survival course. And that blows my mind. That's a couple of months away. Yeah. So I leave June 21st. This is uh, 2022. I am partnering with the Survival University in Colorado. They're up near Cripple Creek. So we'll be at about 10,000 feet. And this has been a really exciting opportunity for me because I'm wanting to bring more uh, women into outdoor leadership. I think for me to be a woman who can say, look, I can myself enter 50 days of training up in the mountains. And what that will look like is I'll build my own shelter. I'll be sleeping in the shelter that I built. I'll be harvesting materials for making my fires at night. I'll be learning advanced bushcraft, advanced navigation, water filtration, food procurement, all of these things. And I do that because, I mean, first of all, to me, that's the ultimate freedom to feel that capable. And so it's very exciting for me to learn to be a more capable human, a more resilient human. An opportunity like this is vacation to me. This is like the most exciting thing I can do. But then to come back from that experience and be able to share that with other people. And I'm not a survivalist. That's not my thing. It used to be my thing. And we maybe we have time to dive into that or we won't. I really do want to talk about that because you were a prepper at one time. That's right. Which feels totally different. The idea of hunkering down and hoarding and not to use conflated language, but it does feel like it is a fear-based life to be in prep mode versus what you're doing now, which is taking control, building your self-confidence, being reliant on your own knowledge and physical ability. So I don't want to tell the story. You tell the story because that's a pretty big flip. Sure. It really is. And the reason we're here today is because our ancestors knew how to do stuff and they had intelligence with earth. They had intelligence on the rhythm of the cycles of the seasons and when to harvest and what to do and how to build fire and how to have ceremony and 
how to support one another and how to do everything. And we made it before Costco. That gives me a lot of peace to know that it is in our DNA to do this. When every time we build a fire and we stare at that fire under the stars, we are connecting with something within us that we have been doing since the beginning of time that resets us, I believe, in a way that brings us into that connection of who we really are and the abilities we truly have. And we know more than we think, even in an intuitive way, most people all carry that intelligence with how to do stuff. It's helpful to dive in and learn things and get guidance, but we know more than we think, just listen. So with that, I think there's been two major game changers truly that have changed the nature of how we do things here. I think 9-11 was a big one, at least in my lifetime. And of course, there was the pandemic that just came through, which seems to have changed everything about how we do things. After 9-11, I didn't have these skills. And I was living on the island of Kauai at the time. Actually, I was on an island and everything shut down. We didn't have barges or planes coming in and out. We quickly ran out of everything from the stores. No toilet paper was a thing back then. You know, those stores didn't have ways to get food because the barges weren't coming in. And I experienced what it was like to get that first sense of, whoa, okay, placement of where I am in terms of a modern world if something goes wrong and things shut down. And I soon after moved to Washington state because I needed to feel for myself, more expansion, more access to, there's plenty and beautiful access, obviously on the islands, but it's a lot of people on a small island. And we are so dependent on the food supply chain that most people who are visitors there, who are not local to that area, don't know how to harvest and live in harmony with the land. So I moved back to my roots um, of the Pacific Northwest and I didn't know what to do. So I took the resources I had and I was in fear mode and I was a big time Costco shopper. I was actually got into selling emergency food. I was selling emergency supplies. I was selling freeze dried food. I was giving small group talks on how to stock food, what emergency supplies you need. I dove into it at a hundred percent and it became my life for 10 years. I lived off grid. I had a huge food production garden, which was cool, but my life was literally around what don't I have, what can I buy to stock up, and I know so intimately what that did to my brain, how that affected my body and my health. I think it's important to be aware of our vulnerabilities, and I think it's important to have certain things in place to make it through a rough patch. But the mindset behind that is where the energy behind that is, I think, what we could do a better job really expressing ourselves through because the mindset I was at then got me sick. And I literally went to a doctor. I had a lump in my throat and I thought it was something really disastrous. And after blood work and everything, the naturopath actually said, how are your stress levels? And I was like, well, they're really high. And he was like, there's actually a word for this. It's like, basically it's a word that you would not even believe that is an illusionary lump in your throat. The lump is there, but it's there because of your mind. And there's a word for this and you create it. It's a stress lump. He's like, your blood works fine, but you're creating all sorts of problems in your body. And so with that, I realized I needed a big time lifestyle change. I wouldn't even leave my property because my property is where I had 
everything. It was where I had my two small boys at the time. I had a bunker. I had two years food supply. I had all the ammo you could imagine. I mean, I was, I was something you'd make a movie out of. By the way, let me just say, I, I have no judgment. What I think you are pointing an arrow to, and it doesn't matter what it is you choose to be into, it is our mind politically, it's our mind religiously, or it's our mind financially. It is the very trap we build based on the narrative we create for ourselves. And those are the boundaries we start to create. And they can change, they can shift, and they only change or shift if we allow it, if we step into other situations or clarity. So you had a big aha. I had a big aha. I left it all. I walked away, a divorce. I left the property. I couldn't even leave the property. I was scared shitless to even travel. We had plans to fly to Hawaii as a vacation. And I checked for solar flares the night before I left and was thinking the solar flare activity is too high. I can't even fly on a plane tomorrow. So I went mental really. And when I left all of that because my health and my mental health was off the charts, I actually went to yoga training. I decided to enroll in a 500 hour yoga teacher training. I didn't even know if I was going to teach. I just knew I needed something to dive into that was going to help expand my mind. That opened the doors to meditation. It opened the doors to some mindfulness training that I got into. And I literally had to cut the cord of the supplies of all the safety net and say, can I find a sense of peace in myself and in my head? Because I knew I wasn't right. Long journey later, let's fast forward to the pandemic that just happened. And I could see my friends and family going through a real fear factor of scarcity and what's coming and how do we address this? And the last thing I wanted to do was to replay what I had already done 10 years previous or however long that was. And I said, I got to find another path here. I recognize that these are important things happening in our world. And I recognize there's things to do to become more resilient and self-reliant, but it's got to be a different path for me. And that's where this started to open up, where it was like, what did our ancestors do before? How did they get through hard times? And what skills do I not currently have that I could start to learn to feel like I've got the wisdom of grandmama from, <laughs> you know, because they went through hard times and we can too. But as you mentioned, and you reiterated, it's the energy to move into that's the channeling of what are we channeling through our actions because it really doesn't matter how you are supporting yourself in this time it really doesn't but how you are feeling and what you are expressing to the rest of the world first of all you mentioning of 9-11 and the pandemic are big global awarenesses so a lot of people are experiencing these things but those very things happen to individuals for me it was Hurricane Katrina came through Mandeville, Louisiana, where I lived, wiped out so much of the town and the supplies and the people and the gas and the electricity and watching how people behaved and some people at their stellar best and others at their absolute worst made me realize, oh, this was my learning moment. But it is the same learning moment for a family in Kansas that gets hit by one tornado that takes their house away. So this is always a possibility. I don't say it's a time to be more fearful of it. It's focus on what it is. What is your purpose, your passion? What is your happiness with or without that home 
or with or without that job. I think it's the difference between external and internal. You've talked about getting in touch with yourself and finding that center in yoga. And that's a little bit in general of what coming home is. People are always running away to find the thing that's going to make them happy when happiness is waiting for you to return. That's so beautiful. Well said. Yeah, like you're like we are at home. You know, there's this home right here that we are embracing how we are expressing as a human here. Yeah, well when I was divorced, the thing that gave me the most uh, solace was I found a street artist who made a sign that said home is wherever I'm with you, which I hung for my kids because I wasn't going to be in the house we all spent together in or we had Christmas in and I realized, "Oh, it's just a building." It felt like more at the time. And the same with the nature. Poet Gary Snyder said that nature is not a place to visit. It's home. That's right. We are nature. (laughs) Truly. It's all so much closer to us than we realize. So it's kind of look inside yourself a little bit and what is it that you need to refill? Forget about recharging your cell phone and recharge yourself first. Because in order to get your cell phone to the party, you've got to be good. You have to find a place, I think. And that's what it is. I think the pandemic changed people's relationships with their family and with their work. Some people working from home now has improved their life. And for other people who had to take out homeschooling their kids, they were like, okay, I don't need that anymore. Like I'm going back to the building and I'm not going to take that building for granted. Yeah. And you know, some people don't have access to just getting out into the back country. That may not be something accessible, but it doesn't mean we can't still find home within ourselves and use the elements to help us to feel that connection piece. So I have family members who have MS, who aren't able to leave their home, who aren't able to do things. And yet there are still so many ways we can ground ourselves by getting barefoot and touching your feet on grass, by opening a window and letting the wind hit your face, by gazing outside and just honing in on a hummingbird if you put up some seeds, or lighting a candle and doing a focused meditation by gazing into the flame and letting that calm your nervous system because that relationship that our eyes have to fire, to flame, goes deep into our history and it can access the same level of mind as sitting in front of a campfire. So we all have opportunities to express ourselves and to commune with the elements and with our senses. When I did the recent forest foraging for the stinging nettle, we did a sit spot exercise. It's like, go find a spot and sit down Even take your shoes off feel the earth below you stick your fingertips into the ground and then start by closing your eyes and just listening and listen to the subtleties and tune into things that you wouldn't normally hear if you're just talking with friends walking on a trail and the people what they came back with the the things they heard the things they picked up on this is an engagement that we get that's very easy to access then open your eyes and gaze at things the underside of leaves do things you wouldn't normally see or pick up on be able to smell and taste and feel. And then the proprioception, often we don't talk about the sense that's coming from the inside of our body, this kind of inner journey of what sense is happening. So see if you can feel sensations happening 
And so all of this is very accessible to all of us, no matter where we're at. And one other piece I wanted to mention, because you were talking about how different people in different parts of our world have experienced different traumas and world events, life events, nature events, that's the game changer when you realize our vulnerability. One thing that was so fascinating to me, again, coming off the pandemic is I recently had an event where we were foraging for oyster. We were doing a shellfish and forage event. So we were out at the coast and I had a group of veterans. There were some veterans there and a nonprofit organization that had brought these veterans there that are supporting families for those who've been injured in battle called Operation Ward 57. And this group brought in a few participants and some of their first time being out in community with people during the pandemic, experiencing something in nature, being around people. And the feedback I was getting was so phenomenal. And one man said, in all of this scarcity that's going on in the sense of food and providing for our families and the cost of everything, he was looking around and there was oysters everywhere. As far as the eye could see, oysters just flying there. And we were picking them up and popping them open and shooting them down the hatch. And he shared that he's like, oh my gosh, there's food everywhere. And it feels so good to just be here and see the food and just eat it like, just like that. He just couldn't even believe it. And so those simple things of seeing how nature provides and knowing that nature destroys, nature's powerful and nature provides, and it's all of it. So our relationship to learning about our world outside of our homes, because I do think our homes give us false security. And so back to what you said, that our embodiment is this home that we can practice self-sufficiency, self-love, self-expression, and our participation. Well, I'm so impressed by everything that you picked up in your studies, the archery, that again, all focuses back to your own purpose to do more rewilding. And I think about these shows they have on television, the History Channel, Discovery Channel, like Naked and Afraid. I think I'm about 50 pounds from being on a show like Naked and Afraid. <laughs> but it really does seem like while it's exploited entertainment, there is also something very, very interesting to watch a person live by their physical ability and their wits and to me, it's a little strange to be eating a pizza, watching a show where people don't get to eat. There's irony built into that, I guess. Yeah, isn't that true? And first of all, as far as you mentioning your 50 pounds off from Naked and Afraid, those people going on that show, they're way too skinny. If you're going on a survival show, you better put on some weight and lean into that because you'd probably do better than most because of it. So <laughs> oh, I appreciate that. But I guess I was saying I could do without the naked part. Oh, <laughs> I could go on a show called Afraid. I'd be happy to be there. Hey, you know what? Naked sells, so. <laughs> I know, I know it. I think what you were saying about the draw that people are having to survival books, survival shows, survival podcasts, I think there is a wave coming in that where people are really feeling that this is good entertainment. And I think it does speak to that thing that we feel that we're missing that I mentioned earlier about feeling more human. When I said after going ice fishing that it made me feel more human, that is exactly what we're watching those shows on the couch eating pizza for because the pizza is numbing us. Our environment with our heat on is numbing us. Our TVs are numbing us. 
And so when we watch someone else surviving and we watch all of these things happen, it's actually helping our brain to have an experience of a little bit of an adrenaline, a little bit of dopamine. We're getting some of the brain chemicals of, okay, I'm feeling what I need up here to feel more human. But the next step to that, and hopefully what some of these shows do for people, and hopefully what I do through my blog and through putting on events and for talking about this is like, get uncomfortable because it is the best thing that will ever happen to you. Get into the environment and feel cold. I just had a actually a Wim Hof Fundamentals course that we offered through Wild Kind Academy this weekend where I brought it. Miles Lucas in from San Diego to teach breath work. And we plunged ourselves into ice baths. And that was an awesome opportunity to say, get your body feeling everything and what that does for our, I mean, there's so many health benefits. It's incredible what we can do when we actually take cold plunges, take cold showers, swim in a river, get in a lake, get uncomfortable, don't eat for a while, you know, go a whole day without eating. See how that feels. You're going to feel more human. You're going to feel less numb. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I think that one of the things that is great about having you here is that you remind us to feel, you remind us to listen, to observe, to smell, to taste, and to sort of reawaken the senses, because many of that is deadened by the convenience of everything that we can have without any trouble at all. And we're sort of reopening our minds to the power of nature. And with that comes balance and focus and clarity. I'm just newly going to yoga. And what's interesting is I go to the one that's kind of the nappy time yoga, which I say lightly, it's really a wonderful thing to have the stretch and to have the physical, but also just to have that sort of peaceful recentering and stepping away from technology and all those kinds of things. Folks that want to know more about all of this can find you in a few places. I want to be sure that they know about wildkindacademy.com and also on Instagram, Jess underscore wildkind academy. Both great places to get a quick view of all the cool pictures of the places you've been and things that you've done and to find out about your courses and your retreats and your blog. You're an amazing person and I am sure that your story has just begun to be told. Thank you so much, Pat. I really appreciate that human connection that you had the eyes to see and the ears to hear and that you said, this is interesting. Let's talk about it. So thank you for helping move this dialogue along and bringing it to more people. I think it's important for all of us. So I, I really appreciate you and love what you're doing. I appreciate you too. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks for listening. Take a moment to subscribe and we will always hold your seat for more creative conversation and a weekly spark of inspiration. Our show is produced by Sweetwood Creative in Austin, Texas, with sound editing under the steady hand of Marcus Siniskalki. Our original music theme was written and sung by Maya Sharp, with additional production support and sanity provided by Delilah Lovejoy, Tony Deo, Tucker Hazel, and Diane Johansson. Please feel free to share your input or dash off a review on social media to help us grow our creative community. You can find us on Instagram at Pat Hazel with two L's or visit our website at creativityandcaptivity.fun. You heard that right. It's dot fun, as in cross your T's and dot your fun. Ciao for now. Staring at an empty page, stepping on.
on a ghost lit stage, a circus of uncertainty.